everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are tackling a topic from the mailbag. We got an email from Dr. It's Not the End of the World, and they are struggling with a CSR on their team who seems to catastrophize everything. I felt incredibly seen (laughs) during this episode because you guys, I've been there. I read this email and I thought, oh my God, is Dr. It's Not the End of the World a fly on the wall at my clinic? Because I have been there more than once in more than one clinic in this situation. And that is, what do you do when you have a CSR who seems to catastrophize everything? Every client that they talk to is angry or upset about something and it always seems to end in chaos because other members of the team have to get involved and try and save the day. And when the other team members get involved, they find that these clients are just fine. They seem to just need help with something, which leaves Dr. It's Not the End of the World wanting to know, isn't helping clients why we're here? And how do we help this person learn to empathize with our clients and de-escalate client stress instead of adding their own concerns and anxiety to the situation? Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me. And Stephanie, under pressure, goss. <laughs> under pressure. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. How's it going, Andy Rourke? It's great. We're recording this right before Thanksgiving. We just opened up registration for the April Uncharted <laughs> Veterinary Conference. Yes, last I'm night. geeking out. Geeking out. It's, it's our, this is our five-year anniversary. I know. It's our five years of Uncharted. That's amazing. I know. It's funny. We actually, I had to ask the question to our team because I was reading through everything for registration and I read it and it was like, this will be our first live event in three years. And I went, no way. It's only been two years. And then I like had to look at the calendar and count and think, okay, that this really is going into the third year since we've done the thing. And like, that's, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's also crazy to think we've been doing this together for five years. Like I remember our very first Uncharted like it was yesterday. It does not seem like it has been five years. You, you were an attendee, which is great for me because I didn't have to pay for you to be there. Uh, that was, you paid that me to be there. I, we should go back to that. That was excellent. That is a very true story. I had just joined the team and it was our first live event and we had so, so much fun. I remember how anxious and nervous I was heading to Greenville, having started working with you and Jamie and not having met Jamie yet. I was very nervous about that. (laughs) It was intimidating. Oh, it was so, it was so good though. We had so, so much fun at that first event and I am just... I cannot wait to see people in person and yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about how we're going to talk about this conference and get, and get people to recognize how awesome it's going to be. Yeah. And so I uh, have a plan and I just want to do it with you now. Um, (laughs) I want to do the first ever episode of uncharted playhouse, (laughs) uncharted playhouse, a theatrical representation of what it means to come to uncharted and what people should come. And so that's what I want to do. Oh my God, shut up. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. I have a script right here. That you've not shared uh, with me. No. Well, I only, I only have my half of the script. Right. Uh, so okay. you don't, you don't have it. I don't so get a script. I'm just going to, I'm going to stick to my script and I just want you to react in character on your side. Oh my God. Okay. You, you have to stop laughing so we can do this. Are you ready? No. 
Oh, dear God. Welcome to Uncharted Playhouse. Janet, I give so much of myself to the practice. I feel there must be a way for me to work smarter, enjoy practice more, grow our revenue, and build an even better workplace culture. But I don't know what it is. Also, I believe my evil twin sister is having an affair with your husband. <laughs> but, but Dr. Andy, where would you find such a thing? <laughs> Do you really think so? Can I really? <laughs> learn in an active, engaged, collaborative way that is wildly not boring and that will connect me to hundreds of amazing vet business geeks who want to help me succeed? Not if your sister's husband is leading classes. I'll do it. I'll, I'll become an uncharted member, member to register now and I'll go to Greenville, South Carolina, April... Was it 22nd through the 24th? Is that what it is? I did, I didn't, but I put, a, I put a blank in the script that I would fill in later. <laughs> I will go. <laughs> check that, Stephanie. 22nd to 24th. 21st uh, to the 23rd. I will go to Greenville, South Carolina, April 21st to the 23rd for an Uncharted Vet Conference. Thank you for all you've done for me, Janet. And I'm sorry about your husband. My name's not Janet. <laughs> and scene. Nailed it. Oh my god, I wish they could see me right now because I am tomato red. <laughs> Dying laughing. <laughs> next time we'll we'll write both I'll write both half of the script next time. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into this episode. <laughs> this is gonna be the best Easter egg present that we've ever given <laughs> Dustin Mace. <laughs> I expect high production value on this bit, Dustin. Oh, uh, holy guacamole. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but seriously, we're going to be together in Greenville, South Carolina next week. And it's our first time all being together in ages. And we're going to hang out with practice owners. And I cannot wait. I am so excited to see everybody. Yeah, me too. The practice owner summit's going to be great. It's, and uh, it will pump all of us up for April. And yeah. I can't wait for that. We're also running our uh, strategic planning for our team, which will pump you and me yeah. up for doing some strategic planning workshops in uh, the first of the year, as yeah. we do. I am I am excited. There's lots of, lots of good stuff uh, coming. And if you all think you have seen Stephanie turned up to excitement level 10 on the podcast, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's kind of, uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> let's, let's, what do we got? What do we got? From, if anyone is still listening, they want to get they want us to get into the mailbag and what we're actually. Oh, doing my gosh. There. We have a great one from the mailbag. Uh, we got an email from Dr. It's not the end of the world. And it is so fantastic. Uh, as I read this, I was like, is this person in my clinic? Because this this has been my clinic. And I I felt seen in this in this email. So it said, hi, Stephanie and Andy. We have a CSR who is constantly catastrophizing everything. Every client that this person speaks to seems to be upset about something. And as soon as anybody else talks to the client, it becomes clear that they aren't really upset. They just need help with a problem. And doctor, it's not the end of the world is asking, isn't that why we're here? And so they said they've tried using scripts to help this receptionist. But if a client is asking questions that require uh, the CSR to go off script, 
catastrophe tends to ensue. And so it results in almost every call with uh, a client being escalated to the manager or to a doctor. And it's very inefficient, as you can imagine, and extremely disruptive to everybody's workflow. And the CSR is uh, is very young. Um, this is one of their first jobs. And so doctor, it's not the end of the world, is wondering, maybe this is due to a lack of experience, both in the veterinary world or the real world, being one of their first jobs. Um, but they're wondering, how do we help this person empathize with clients and de-escalate the client's stress instead of adding their own anxiety on top of that. Any advice we could give would be appreciated. Sure. Well, I think we can definitely tackle that. You want to start yeah. with some headspace? Oh, yeah. It's a All good right. place to start. Um, the headspace is super important here because mm -hmm. uh, this behavior uh, can be really frustrating. Yes. And I've been very, fr I've been this person. I've been very frustrated by this person at different times in my life. Yes. Um, it's it's the little boy who cried wolf, right? Like at some point you got this person and everything is an emergency or everything is bad. Mm -hmm. And and you either end up spending your life with high cortisol levels because this person has always got really bad things. Mm -hmm. And I think this person is really upset. Or you end up just putting yourself in a headspace where you're like, I'm going to ignore this person. Or everything that they say, I'm going to radically discount the importance of and and the person notices that because they yes. think this is a big deal and you're you just don't seem to have time for them and what happens is you end up in a place where your employee feels unappreciated unheard yes ignored because in their mind right remember, remember people don't people don't base their actions on truth they base their actions on the perception of the truth, yes. what they believe the truth to be. And so you might be able to have some grading system and you look at this and say, objectively, this is not a big deal. It doesn't matter. Subjectively to that person, it is a big deal. And they have something that's a big deal. And their boss, their direct is, um, is their direct supervisor is completely ignoring them. Yep. And now you're the jerk boss who ignores your people when they're panicking or when they're when they're quote unquote in trouble. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I have, I have 100% been flummoxed by this, this very problem of, I can't emotionally continue to go here. And at the end, the same time, if I don't figure out how to fix this, the person is going to feel very frustrated with me for not taking them seriously. I um, feel even more seen right now because I, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I have, uh, I don't, I don't know that I have been this person. I thought about that a lot leading into this, but I 100% have been the jerk boss <laughs> trying to yeah. trying to help this person getting frustrated by it and ignoring them and tuning them out for a period of time that 100% resonated with me because I been there done that and it's um it is really it is hard and that I think you put your finger early on on uh, the heart of it for me which was I didn't understand how someone could live their life so constantly wrapped up in anxiety. Because every time yeah. I talked to this person and looked at this person, it seems like they were having high cortisol levels because everything was stressing them out. And I looked at that and I was, I was so baffled by how someone could live their life in this state. And I, I struggled with how to put myself in their shoes. We talk about headspace and that's a part of the headspace process for me is like, what could this person be thinking and feeling and trying to understand? And I will tell you guys, I struggled with that because I was like, I don't understand this. I don't understand it at all. It felt black and white to me. 
And I know to them, it probably felt black and white and it felt like they're on one side of the Grand Canyon and I was on the other and I had no idea how to cross this. And so to your point, Andy, I just ignored it for a really long time. Yeah. And that did not go so well for me or no, for my it, team or that person. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Right. So, so there's, there's three general reasons that you get behaviors like this. And like I said, I'm very familiar with this behavior. I've been this person mm-hmm. who has gone through periods of, of, catastrophizing um and, you know and i have 100 been been the boss or the vet who works with the person who who does this and mm-hmm. it has wildly frustrated me because i um i'm very goal oriented mm-hmm. and i am very much um i very much focus on like let's not get wound up if we don't need to get wound up right. and that's sort of almost wellness strategies you know that i think of and so with someone who's goal oriented, when there's a lot of energy and hand waving and excitement and emotion, that, that I don't I don't like that. And 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 it can, especially if I feel like it's getting in the way of us getting our work done for the day, I can get very frustrated. So, mm-hmm. what does this happen? Generally, in my experience, there's there's three causes, and they're all kind of intertwined. So give me give me a little bit of give me a little bit of grace here as, as I lay these down because I know how tightly linked they are. Okay. Um, but the the number one reason I see this is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right, Cat- uh, catastrophizing, catastrophic thinking, negative thinking—those are all um, cognitive distortions that we see in people who have anxiety mm-hmm. or who are manifesting anxiety. Catastrophizing is is common. You guys have heard me joke on the uh, on the podcast about you know we'll have a there'll be something uh, something comes up and happens, and I'm always like, and I'm going to end I'm going to end up living in the forest <laughs> by the river, you know, eating salamanders, and stay alive. Uh huh. You know, yeah. Uh, and, and 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 like that's a joke about it, but that's sort of catastrophic th- thinking that we're sure. talking about. Is everything is going to come crashing down. So so people with anxiety tend to have catastrophic thinking. So when you see someone and they just constantly live with their cortisol level jacked up to eleven, that's probably somebody who's wrestling with anxiety. And is it clinical anxiety? I don't know, and neither do you. And right. I'm not trying to be this person's therapist, <laughs> um, but I do recognize it for what it is and say, sure. "Wow, that's a very anxious person." Uh, this the second part is control the situation. Right. Yep. A lot of times what happens is, and I know this is tied to anxiety, is, is we get this, we get these, this uh, catastrophic thinking in scenarios where this person who really wants control doesn't have control. I don't have control. I did the thing I was supposed to do and the person did not react the way that I wanted them to and they want to talk to the doctor and I do not know what they're going to say to the doctor and I don't know how the doctor is going to handle this. And all of these things are out of my control. And for some people, that loss of control can be very upsetting sure. and can send them into the, and can spin them A up. A tailspin. Mm-hmm. It, exactly right, in, in this exact way. And the last thing is, uh, and this is the the sort this is the most benign version of this is, is sometimes it, it's a process person, right? It's someone who says, I'm trying to do what's right. I want to get the right answer. I want to follow the rules. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. And now we're off the rails and the rules have been broken and I am no longer confident that I am doing what I'm supposed to do. And I really don't want to get this wrong. And and again, I know that all three of those things, they're so overlapped and interrelated and everything. Sure. And, but in my mind, those are those are three really common reasons that I see ca- ca- catastrophic thinking and I see people getting wound up. Yeah. Now, the reason I lay those things down, right, is because pick any of those three uh, of those things, right? It's anxiety, the loss of control, the the process person who's who's off the rails. Ignoring that person makes all of those works. Right. Yep. If this person is having anxiety because they're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And you're like, I don't have time for this. And you yeah. close the door in their face. You have 
you have made this significantly. You know what I mean? Imagine that. Like the door just slams in Janet's face. Boom. And she was like panicked before. And now her boss, the person who has organizational power, who can actually help her, has literally closed the door in her face. Yes. Um, and you just took her up three more notches yep. in her belief that everything is melting down. The same thing with the control. It's like, hey, I don't know what to do. Things are out of control. I'm going to go to my boss and try to get control of the situation right. through his or her help. And they refuse to help me. And now I have even less control because the obvious path forward has closed the door in my face. And now I have less control than I did before. I don't have access to my boss or my direct supervisor. And this right. is worse. And then the process person is like, I don't know what to do. I really desperately want to get the right answer. And I say, I don't have time to talk to you. Right. And like that is, I am not helping them get the right answer. I am increasing the chances that they are going to quote unquote get in trouble, which is what they're generally really, really worried about. Yeah. So again, it's super understandable to get frustrated, especially if there's a pattern of behavior. Uh, I, I have a tendency to get frustrated, but I do know, I, I think, I think part of discipline as you get older is knowing a truth and being able to adhere to it, even though emotionally you don't want to. I, uh, I was talking to one of my friends recently and I was like, the definition of maturity in marriage is not saying I told you so when it is so <laughs> obvious. You know, with like, like being able to have the thing happen where you're like, I told you so, here we are. And just being able to not say mm -hmm. it. it <laughs> there are people who die of old age having never reached that level of self-discipline yes. where they could just take a pass. And not say, I told you so, to their spouse. <laughs> and it's, it's that exact level of control where you have to look at the person who is melting down and they are throwing their hands up and they're like, and I told her that we don't do discounts for rescue groups. And she said, I'm coming in to talk to you. <laughs> and here we are. And you look at that person and you do not say, I don't have time for this. <laughs> you look at them and you say, I hear you and I understand you. Let's talk about what we're going to do to handle the situation. And man, that is a test of willpower for most of us, I think. Yes. Yes. I a hundred percent. And I I think um <laughs> it was for me and I failed repeatedly over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I have blown this situation. I have 100% just stomped on. <laughs> I've cut the red wire uh -huh. many times and uh -huh. had it explode in my face. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's just not worth it, right? Because then you still have to deal with the thing. And oh, now yeah. you have another problem of going and trying to put the person back together after you blew them off. Like you still have to deal with the problem that they are uh, upset about, which is generally a real problem. It's not of the proportion that they're making it. But now I have an HR issue, you know, a person yes. management, a relationship issue that I have to deal with. And now it's 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 a much bigger thing than it had to be. And so yes. in the short term, me closing the door and saying, I don't have time for this is um, it's just going to make a whole lot more cleanup for me to do later on. Yes. Uh, again, I feel painfully seen in this, in this episode. 
<laughs> because that was that was that was me. That's how I that's I try I tried these things, uh, but I I totally feel it. And so I think I I agree with you. I think I struggle, um, and I think it'd be interesting. I would love to know how how you look at this, Andy, and and I think our listeners would all look at it differently, which is what's interesting about it. But when I think about those three things, I think about the anxiety, I think about the loss of control, and I think about the rule following. Mm -hmm. The hardest of those three for me as a manager to deal with is the rule following. Really? That's yes. the hardest one? That's the one you'd pick? I was not yes. the one I would pick. Okay. That's why, I want, that. that's why I want it. That's why I want right. to talk Tell about it. Because I think that everybody's responses are going to be very different. Because I am um I'm very much a compassionate mm -hmm. person. I am I'm, I'm a the mom, I've always been the mom of the group, right? So somebody who is having anxiety or who I can recognize that they are struggling with loss of control, I feel like I can cope with those two things in my role as a leader and as a, as a boss. I feel like I can cope with those so much easier than trying to cope with someone who wants to follow the rules because what I know as a core truth in the depths of my soul is that veterinary medicine is not black and white. And I yeah. can't change that for someone. And that was what I struggled with in this situation in my clinic was how do I want to help this person? I see the anxiety. I see the loss of control. I see the hurt feelings when I shut the door in their face. I see the giant mess that I'm cleaning up afterwards when I've shut the door in their face or I they don't feel like a boss is available to them. And so they're like, I'm just not going to do anything because I don't want to do the wrong thing. So then the list of things to do and clean up stacks up and up and up. And then I'm dealing with a giant mess. I got That was where for me, I froze because I was like, I don't know what to do about this because I can't change the fact that veterinary medicine is not black and white 100% of the time. I can't change the fact that, especially for the front desk, it exists in a world of gray a lot of the time. And that mm. actually was the part that I found the easiest as a CSR is I, I never had a problem navigating those waters. And so for me, the rule following and the structure and then and the ability to freestyle, that is a part that I couldn't relate to. It felt like in any way, shape or form. And so that was the part that I struggled with the most. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much a mindset, you know what I mean? And you and I are both very creative people. Uh, we, we improvise, uh, as you might have heard earlier uh -huh. uh, on when we were goofing off talking about the conference. Um, yeah, we, we improvise, uh, it, it comes fairly easily to us. Sure. That's, that's just how we're, that is how you and I are wired. And that's not how other people are, are wired. So there's, there's a couple of, there's a couple things that we can do, right? So, so one of the one of the first things that I want to try to do when we have a process person, we, and we hear a lot about about this is a process people are great, they're amazing. They just want to know what they're supposed to do so that they can do it every time and they can run it smooth as silk and get the right answer. And it's like don't don't look at that as anything other than a that's not a flaw; it's a feature. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. But it does require some systems. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, for a lot of us, what we kind of have to do is get a little bit creative in what our processes are. And you know, and you you talked recently in a way that I, I, something I really liked. We talked about um, whenever there was, we talked about um, staff constantly coming to us to solve problems. 
And you talked about, you know, at the front desk, you said, look, or, uh, look if you can solve this problem for $25, mm-hmm. just solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a process, you right. know, that that's, is evaluate the situation, uh, present the options, uh, you know, and try to make the client happy up to this point and beyond this point, then elevate, escalate up the chain and you come and talk to me. And that's a very kind of nebulous process, but sometimes that's enough of a process to make that person feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, some some processes can have things like evaluate the uh, evaluate the situation uh, to determine how the client is feeling, and then uh, escalate if if you feel that this person is not going to be satisfied with the mm-hmm. results. And you say that is that is what our process is. So in some cases, it is about making more robust processes when. We are surprised again and again by something. At some point, it's not a surprise. It's our business model. Yeah. Which means if this person is coming to you every week with similar problems or problems that have a similar theme, you should fix this problem. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, a good, the uh, definition of a good business is problem solving one problem right after the other. The definition of a bad business is solving the same problem again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So it's hard when always when it's always something different. But if it's always the same thing, where this person has a client that they think is upset but is not upset, we need to look at what is going on here and what should the process be, and how do we flesh that out with them? So part yeah. one is, can I build out processes? And again, I agree with you. There's so many shades of gray. These cannot be, you know, lab bench processes like yeah. you know and add a third of a milliliter, you know, add a right. third of a cup to this and, uh, you know, 100 milliliters of that. It's, right. not, it's not that prescriptive. It, it is more assess the situation, present options to the client, thing, things like that. So can I, can I flesh out these processes uh, is, is the first part. The second part is, is training, you know, and saying, okay, we are consistently getting, uh, whenever there's a client who seems like they might be upset, this CSR is getting very upset and they're coming to me and they think the world is ending. Can I work with them on their phrases and what they say and how they say it? Can we possibly get them some training on dealing with angry clients? Like perhaps (laughs) the Charming the Angry Client course, which is available for sale at drandyrourke.com. It is me teaching how to handle angry and complaining clients. Outstanding resource. Uh, take a look at it there. We, they might benefit from something. I don't know, like that. I just put that out there. But is there, in all seriousness, is there. That's a perfect plug. Uh, thank you. I thought that was pretty Perfect. seamless. Uh, but it is But <laughs> nailed, it is a true story. Me. And I'll yeah. tell you why. So, Doctor, it's not the end of the world, started this process by approaching it, it I think, from a clear headspace. So, to so to go back to to thinking about things, I think. From the from the message we got, they said, "Okay, how can I solve this? Well, maybe if we give them, to your point, some training and some structure, and we give them a script, that that will solve the problem, right?" So I think that they're thinking in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I what I would have done and what I have done, and um, so I think that is that is good. I think the the part about your plug that is important is that we're dealing to, we are dealing with other human beings. We're not dealing with a solution on the lab bench. So I can mm-hmm. put two drops in at the exact right moment and the thing will go according to plan. 
I can give a client a response that is in my script, they have a thousand and one ways to respond. And usually they respond in the thousands and two way, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not the way you're ever expecting yeah. it to go. And that's the problem. And so I th- I don't think that, I think that Dr. It's Not the End of the World is doing the right thing and heading in the direction to your point of training and focusing on how do I support this person? And we have to remember before we start any systems or training or programs and processes that we're dealing with other human beings. And so part of the training has to be addressing the human response, which is the unknown, right? Yeah. You never know how they're going to react. Well, and that, and that's how scripts can screw you up, right? Yeah. You know, so, so, and, and I'm not I'm not saying scripts are a bad idea. Scripts are a good idea, but often people get the intent of scripts wrong or providing scripts. Right. If you say here is exactly what you say in this situation, you are going to cause more panic because they're never going to get set up to say exactly what is there. Right. Like the client will phrase their question in a weird way or they'll ask it with some caveats. You know, and they, like you're, you're just never going to get a chance to use this script right on the way that it was written. And so it's scripts are still super valuable for giving people some phrases, some ways to say, you know, the, the messaging, you know, here is the messaging that we want to deliver. It's really what we're trying to do is build systems where the scripts are a guide and they give you some, you know, some ideas and some words to use and to practice with. But the scripts have to be held loosely. And if we have a hardcore process person or someone who has anxiety, they want to believe the script is exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not what it is. And we just need to be upfront about that from the beginning and say, here is the script. I want you to read it through a couple of times. And then tomorrow I'm going to ask you some questions as a client and you're going to work off the script and give me some answers. Mm-hmm. And then just sit down with them and ask them uh, the common questions from clients, but ask them in weird ways mm-hmm. because the clients are going to ask in weird ways and just yep. just ask them in weird ways where the script doesn't really work and and tell them, you know, take take the information on the script, reformulate it so you can deliver it and deliver this information and yeah. just let them practice, you know, how they would say it and how it fits. And so that's that's generally how I how I use scripts. And we've used them a number of times in Uncharted for different things. Super helpful for people to know you know, what's important to communicate, but they have to be held loosely or else they cause more headaches than they solve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think from a from a headspace perspective, I think the other thing that is important here, um, which always is, is, you know, for Dr. It's not the end of the world when you're addressing this. Um, I think some of it is sitting down and looking at where is your own emotional state because when you address this challenge and you work with this team member it is important to be calm and safe and not be frustrated and not be you know not be yeah. angry or triggered because that that leads to <laughs> that leads to um uh, shut the door in not in their yeah. not necessarily in their face but i'm just going to hide from this person right it leads to that kind of behavior it leads to the avoidance it leads to the frustration it leads to i i will say i was guilty of this it leads to the the venting in the moment when your work when your work is interrupted for the sixth time in an hour mm-hmm. to get asked a question it leads to you venting to another person on the team like those kind of things are are real and so i think from a headspace perspective doctor it's not the end of the world has done made some steps forward into solving it, which I think are are great and they're being pro- proactive about it. And I think it's still important to sit back and say, 
what is the differences and look at those three things. I'm curious to know which of those three you would struggle with the most, Andy, because I think, like I said, I think it's going to be different for everybody. And I think doctor is not the end of the world should step back and say, what is it about this that is the most frustrating to them and work a little bit on trying to bridge the divide between them themselves? Because if you can't try and figure out how to pinpoint what is actually frustrating you, I don't know that you're going to be able to come to a viable solution for how to solve the problem. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I, yeah, I, I just want to validate what you were just saying is, um, not being triggered, having this conversation is really important. And, and, and I know people listening are like, why does it, why does he keep saying that? Like, why does, why does he bring that up? And it's like, because I see this conversation happening in frustration, in response to you have interrupted me the fourth time in an hour, and I have had enough of this. And I need to talk to you right now about how you need to take care of your job and stop asking me to do everything. And and that is, and again, that's terrible wording. That's because, I, you know, oh, that's sure. because you're frustrated and you say that to the person. I And if anyone out there is listening and thinks that could never happen, Mm, I promise you, you're mistaken. Yeah. That is how the conversation happens because we're nice people and we're when we want to assume the best and we do until we're having a bad day and then this person does this behavior multiple times and then we just snap and we're like, I've had enough and so now we're going to have this conversation and that is the bad time yeah. to have the conversation. Yeah. So, so I see that a lot. For me, the hardest, um, the hardest one, the anxiety control or processes, the hardest is, is the anxiety part, right? Because that is a deeply internal struggle that I can't help you with all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can give you some guidance. I can give you some coaching and we're going to do that in the back half of this episode. Um, but ultimately this is, if this is something that a person struggles with, if that's sort of how they wired, if they're constantly, if they're an anxious person, uh, there is sort of some self-work that they're probably going to need to do that is beyond, you know, employee coaching that I can do. And so they kind of have to need to, they kind of have to need to see it in themselves. And, you know, it's like, I can't, yeah, I can't change someone. They have, they have to want to change themselves. The, the, the need for control at least we can talk a bit about control and I can sort of create, help them create more of an illusion of control that they feel comfortable with. And the processes, at least we can work on the processes. But if there's just someone who generally believes that things are going to go badly and just spin out of control, I don't know how to tell you that they're not going to go badly and they're not going to spin out of control other than the coaching that we're talking about and just point and pointing out how this has happened so many times and has never gone out of control. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I just need you to, internalize mm-hmm. that and believe that. So for me, th- that that type of stuff is always harder when I have someone who who has these types of, of cognitive distortions they do, the, the catastrophic thinking, the negative thinking, finding the bad in everything. I'm always imagining the worst case scenario. That that can be very frustrating to deal with because it's yeah. so internally driven. And it's and it is it is hard to give them clear, direct you know, practice-oriented feedback on that. that is, it's really something that they kind of have to own and, and work on themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you want to pause here and then we can dive into, okay, when you have a person on your team who is like this, how do you, how do you approach it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hey, everybody. I just want to jump in here for one second because I want to talk to you guys um, about someone who 
has been one of the best gifts that Uncharted has given me, and that is my amazing friend, Jen Galvin. For those of you guys who don't know Jen, she is a practice manager and a practice owner in Arizona, and she is fabulous. We met at the very first Uncharted, and I am so, so thankful that the universe brought her my way because she is smart and she is funny as all get out. She makes me belly laugh and snort laugh every time we are together. And she is kind. And what I love potentially the most about Jen is how passionate she is about her team and about having a great happy place to work. And she is bringing that attitude to you. She is going to be teaching a workshop or leading a workshop in December on Sunday, December 12th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific. She is going to be talking about how it's all fun and games, how to play with, engage with, and reward your team. She is going to talk about what employee engagement means, but more specifically, what does it mean to you in your practice? The group is going to brainstorm and talk about some simple ways to measure engagement within our practices. And then most importantly, what what the hell do we actually do with this when we do measure it? How do we create something that is actionable and also matters to our individual teams? We're going to brainstorm some ways that we can reward the team so that they feel appreciated in a way that resonates and matters to them. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am super excited to get to be her wingman on this, and I hope that you will come and join us. If you head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events, you can find the registration page for It's All Fun and Games. I hope to see you guys there. Now back to the podcast. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the nuts and bolts here. So the number one takeaway from Headspace is don't be triggered. Yeah. Um, don't be, so, so summarize and kind of expand a little bit what we said on Headspace. Don't be triggered. Remember to assume good intent, right? This person is wound up because they care. Yeah. And if they didn't care, they wouldn't be wound up. They would just say, nah. And they wouldn't come to, they wouldn't come to yeah. you, first of all, they don't care. And secondly, if they did come to you, they would just kind of say, hey, here's a phone call you need to make. And they wouldn't tell you, that they think this person is upset or frustrated. This person is only chewing their fingernails because they want to do a good job and they want to provide good patient care and they want to be a good employee. And as long as you can put that in your brain and hold on to it, you can have better conversations with them. And and I would actually suggest, obviously you don't wanna make things up that aren't true, but if this person is having this behavior more often than not, what I found is that, they are doing it because they genuinely care about the client experience. And mm-hmm. yes, sometimes they are manifesting upset or irrational thought or anger that is not present when somebody else talks to that client. And I would rather have somebody that is hyper aware of the client experience and the client response to how we are interacting with them than someone who is apathetic and who doesn't care. And so I where for myself, where I started the conversation with my team member was saying thank you and saying, I appreciate that you care deeply for the client experience. That is really important to me. And I appreciate that. And because there's an and Mm -hmm. it's not a but it's not it's not there. When you use but don't say but you're making it wrong. Yeah, (laughs) but but (laughs) but there's an ant and there should be an ant. And so for me, it was, thank you for this. And, and then it was about talking about the impact. When you interrupt the doctor who is in surgery to ask a question because you think a client is angry and it's something that could have waited, 
Here's the impact of that. Here's the, you know, here's the responses. Because a lot of times they are so focused on getting the answer, getting it right, trying to help the client that they cannot see the impact of that action on the rest of the team, on the doctor who's getting interrupted, on the the manager who's on a phone call, who's someone, I literally, this was what drove me craziest and it was part of what made the divide. I would be on the phone and the person would just stand outside my door waiting for me to be done because they wanted to help the client and they had the client on the phone or they had the client at the front desk and they wanted the help so badly. And I could appreciate that. And at the same time, that had impact for me. <laughs> I couldn't focus. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I screwed up on phone calls. I had things that came out of my mouth because I was like thinking about the fact that they're literally standing next to me waiting for me to get off the phone, right? So it's it's okay to give them the and. But for me, the place where I would start with this is to look at the behavior and think about what are the positive outcomes of this. When you have someone who is detail-oriented on your team, to your point, Andy, that is so important. We need mm-hmm. the detail-oriented people. We need the people who need a process and protocols because that's how we get those things developed in our practice. This is an opportunity where you can turn pieces of the behavior that doctor, it's not the end of the world, is probably feeling because this is how I felt. This drives me absolutely freaking insane. And I just want to strangle this person. And yet it became an incredible opportunity for my team to harness that into where can we direct their focus so it's positive? Can we write some scripts? Can we develop some protocols? Can we come up with some... Uh, black and white, this is where things are falling apart. And can we use that to become better? And that is a much healthier place to be. And don't get me wrong, I did not jump there immediately. I jumped straight to, I, I'm going to start ignoring this person because they're driving me yep. freaking mm-hmm. bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like being a parent trying to go to the bathroom and your kids are waiting outside. <laughs> You know, and you just, it, it affects yes. you at a level that doesn't make sense to anyone who hasn't been that oh person. God, like, yes. I don't know why it affects me so much, but I want to <laughs> put them in the yard and lock the, all the doors. Oh, my God. Um, yes. No, but, th- but that's it. Right. And that's, that's why I said this. These often are triggered conversations for yep. that very reason. Yeah. OK. So so I, I agree with that. <clears throat> Quick words of advice on this. It is very hard to coach this person in a positive way while the problem that they are stressed out about still persists. Yes. So regardless of the cause of why they are doing this way, um, if they are waiting on the client uh, and they're, they're trying to serve this client and you're trying to talk to them about why them interrupting you is bad, mm-hmm. you're making this worse because yes. they are panicking about the client waiting and now they're panicking more because they have to stand here while you tell them that what they did was not right instead of helping the client. Yep. And we, it is very hard to coach someone who is triggered. It yes. is very hard to coach someone who's panicking. The first thing we have to do is go with the flow and relieve their source of tension. So they're obviously freaked out about something. We are going to deal with it. And once the problem is resolved, they are going to come back down in their stress level to a more reasonable level. And now we can talk to them about the process that they use to get there and brainstorm how to go forward. So for example, uh, well, so let me, I'm going to, I'll go into examples in a second. So 
resolve the initial point of mm-hmm. conflict and stress so that this person is in a headspace so that you can coach them. Yes. And if you try to coach them before they get out of panic mode, you're wasting your time. Uh-huh. Okay, so so start with that. The second thing is the way that we talk to them is very important. Yeah. If I have someone who has panic attacks because they don't want to get it wrong, me talking to them about how they got it wrong right. <laughs> is going to uh, be hard on them. Yes. Now, that does not mean I'm going to mince words or, or, or I'm not going to be truthful to them. I am. Remember, clear is kind. Mm-hmm. Would you rather... If it was you and you were having panic attacks, would you rather someone act like everything is fine until they've had enough of you and they just lose it on you? Or would you rather them tell you as you go along, hey, this is starting to affect our our mm-hmm. relation, our work mm-hmm. relationship? Or, hey, th- there are some things about what you're doing that I'm having problems with. Yeah. Can I talk to you about them? And so... Get, get, try to get try to get to that place okay so how do we how do we have the conversation without just saying to them you're messing up you're causing a problem you're I, I, you thought you had a problem before when the client was upset well now the boss is upset and mm-hmm. now you got another problem that you're going to respond as you always do which is with panic um a lot of it is how we say it yep and so it is easy to say hey when you stand outside my door while i'm on the phone you are wildly distracting And it makes me extremely angry, like I see red. Right. And you can say that. Or you can say, hey, I I am not a multitasker, and I have to kind of focus on what I'm doing. And so when I'm on the phone and I see you outside, my pea brain has a hard time keeping both of those things in check and doing the work that I need to get done when you're there. And I hope that that sounds very different um, uh-huh. because it, it is. is it is very different. Um, and it's, it's just it's, it's it's not what you say; it's how you say it, right? Mm-hmm. And so my my the message I'm giving to them is: don't stand outside the door and wait for me to get off the phone. The reason is not going to be because you make me insanely angry and I want to uh, throttle you. I want to <laughs> want to throttle you. Yeah. The reason is because I can't concentrate on what I'm trying to do when right. people are waiting for me. And that's a personal failing of mine. Uh, and so I need your help with yeah. that because I can't I can't do it. And I need your help. And that's just sprinkling in a little bit of vulnerability. It's the way that we're phrasing it as it's not a you problem. It's a me problem. Uh, it's not you. It's me. I love that's, that. That's exactly where we're going. So I love the that. Same thing with the um, well, you know, interrupting the doctor in surgery to tell them that the client is angry. Um, it's not about, hey, you really tick off the doctor when you do that. It's, hey, can you imagine being a doctor who's doing surgery and then someone comes and lets you know that someone's angry at you and how hard that would be? Yeah. You go, ah, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, my bad. You know, I I didn't think of that. And so the reasons that we give about the behaviors and the behavior change that we need, it it matters. And again, that doesn't mean I'm letting off the hook. That doesn't mean I'm saying things that aren't true. It just means I'm thinking about how to deliver that message. Yeah, I approach the situation um, from from a different perspective, but I agree with you, the words matter. And so the way that I looked at it was, I see the anxiety. I see the loss of control. I see the physical manifestation of that in the um the nervous behaviors, in the tone of voice, in the in the fact that they um are telling the rest of the team how stressed out they are about being at work, in the 
you know, fact that they're complaining that their stomach hurts because they're so stressed out at work, those things say, I am worried about, I am worried about you. I, I can, this is how I see that this seems to be impacting you. Tell me more about this. Cause I, I didn't in the moment, I didn't know what to do. I just knew I needed to cast a wide net because I knew that I was frustrated and I knew that I was angry. Mm. And I was like, I don't know what the hell to do with this. Cause I don't, I'm not seeing it that way. And so I just said, this is what I see happening. Tell me more about that. And then I shut up and listened. And I, I asked them for their help in, in figuring out what it was that was actually the struggle for them and where they needed, where they needed the help. Because like I said, I felt like the anxiety and the control of the situation was something I could support them with. And the, the rule following was the struggle for me. And so I needed to figure out like, what is actually triggering them? I know it's triggering me, but what is triggering them as well to figure out a game plan for it? So I think no matter what, having a conversation is important. So I totally applaud Dr. It's Not the End of the World because their team is like, this is a problem. We recognize this. So we're going to try and solve it. So we've created some scripts. I'm hoping that they also had a conversation with this person, but I would say if they haven't, it's a good place to start and just say, hey, this is to your point, either this is how I am struggling and I need your help and bridge the gap with the ask of help. Or I see this and I'm worried about you. How can yeah. we? But 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 it is clear as kind and you have to have a conversation. You can't just ignore it and hope that giving them scripts, hope that training, hope that helping them is going to solve the problem. I think it. you have to be honest and you have to be empathetic and you have to be able to ask them, I see this as a struggle. Tell me how I can help you. Um, even if they don't know, talking about it's gonna is going to help. You're you you have to start the conversation somewhere. Yeah, one of the things that I think is make or break in these conversations that really is a leadership skill is identifying the pattern of behavior that you're seeing and that you're trying to manage. Sure. Because if you just get upset every time this person does something where they're panicking it can very much be a -a whack-a-mole exercise where every day they're upset about something different. (laughs) And and it's really hard to coach someone when every day, yeah, it it was really hard to coach someone when everything they do is wrong. Like that's Mm -hmm. a terrible, that's a terrible thing to try. You can't coach someone. And the other thing is they are going to believe that they're destined to fail because how (laughs) do you fix everything about yourself? And the, the way out of this trap is to, identify the pattern of behavior. Hey, when the protocols that we have don't cover the situation, you react very strongly. Mm -hmm. That's a single problem. That's just one problem. Mm -hmm. When the protocols don't cover what happens, you have a strong emotional reaction Mm -hmm. and we need to to work on that. That's just one problem. And there's a million great things about you and just one problem. That's not a big deal. I have 99 good things and one single problem, which is very different than Jay-Z. Yep. Much, much more manageable, <laughs> I think. Oh, oh, this episode is off the rails. Watching you not respond to that and then just see the pain on your face as it sunk in, that made it all worth it. All right. One problem. The only <laughs> way you can give them one problem <laughs> is if you spot the pattern. And so you got to find the pattern. You know, the person who goes and interrupts the the doctor because the angry client is on the phone and the person who stands right outside your desk and drives you nuts because there's an angry client on the phone, they've only got one problem. They uh, don't know what to do when they have an angry client on the phone. And mm-hmm. honestly, guys, the answer is 
you need to take a message and tell them that we will call them right back and that you are going to take this directly to the practice manager and and get them some answers. And we need to, to work on the wording so that you can get off the phone and get the resources that you need so this person can get taken care of. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I, I'm not saying that that's exactly the policy you should choose, but if this is a, a recurrent problem of the person who is needed is not available and the, and the front desk is just leaving the client on the phone, I would argue strongly that is a worse scenario than yeah. coming up with wording to say, I have this, uh, the doctor is in surgery right now, and I am going to relay this to him or her as soon as they are done. Uh, you can expect a call from our practice manager in the next, probably the next few hours. Well, and I think part of it for me in, in solution mode here is um, you have to figure out a way to bring objectivity to the conversation because mm-hmm. doctor is not the end of the world said, it seems like when anybody else talks to the clients, they're not upset. They're not actually upset. And so that tells me when that is happening on repeat, that something is happening for this CSR that may or may not be true for other people. The only way to figure that out is to bring in a measure of objectivity into it. And so if you are not recording phone calls at your practice, that would be a very great way to start because let me tell you nothing is better than after the fact taking a being able to take a recording and sit down with your CSR and listen to it and say tell me what you hear try and figure out what are they hearing that makes them think that this client is angry because if Janet picks up the phone and her her impression of the situation is that this client is totally hacked off and a manager needs to get on the phone right now and I get on the phone and I think this client just had a question and their tone of voice maybe was like really to the point and like, let's get it done. But I didn't, that being able to see that and look at that objectively comes from hearing it, talking about it together, looking at it and analyzing it. And this is the part of our practice, to your point, Andy, that we, so many people dread. It's like the idea of role-playing. People don't want to feel silly or feel like they're listening to themselves. I had a really hard time with this. I hate the sound of my voice. Listening to recordings is hard. And when I was in practice, watching myself on video, working with clients, listening to phone calls was was a painful process for me. And I will tell you, I had significant growth in my customer service skills by being able to listen to it and talk about what other people were seeing and hearing in a way that was objective and not in the moment pressure, right? Because it, to your point, in that moment, if the CSR picks up the phone and thinks that this client is upset, you're not going to be able to coach them. But being able to look at it after the fact and not look at it punitively, like this one went bad, but just like, let's listen to this. What is different about this call than the last one we listened to? Yeah. Having a measure of objectivity there is hugely, hugely helpful. So if you're not investing in something like that for your practice, I would absolutely tell you that that is one of the best things that I ever did as a manager for my front desk team was the ability to listen to phone calls and to work on it from a coaching perspective and and get get better as a team. Yeah, I agree. So so sort of bringing us all back around into a nice little bundle. Uh, the big things in the action steps that we talked about, I, the first thing you got to do is relieve the tension, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't we can't coach our way out of this while this person is still panicking about the thing they're panicking about. Yeah. So suck it up. Get the problem fixed before we turn to the coaching. And then now that now that things are calm again, now that it's the day after, use the feedback model. Hey, can we talk about that client that called in yesterday afternoon? 
and how that went. Mm-hmm. And now we're having a conversation about that without the pressure of the incident, right? Look for patterns because I want to present them with a problem that is a simple problem. I don't want to present them with nine problems. Here's nine different things that you did that were really right. infuriating. Right. That's, that's too much. And it's, it just, they feel like, oh man, there's, I'm, I'm failing. There's so many things I'm doing badly. No, you're doing one thing. There's one thing that, that tends to undermine you. And then maybe there's other smaller things, but we're talking, we're, we're only going to address the one thing now because it's the one that there's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. So what is the pattern? What, what are we really talking about here? And then go into protocols. Are there protocols that yes. can support this person where I can give them guidance so that they know what to do on their own and they feel comfortable making that decision? Beyond that, we're into training and coaching, which is what Stephanie's talking about with, hey, let's listen to some phone calls. Yep. Let's go back and talk about how we're going to handle these situations. What do we do when someone calls the front desk and they're really angry? Do we put them on hold and stand outside the practice manager's office? Is that our plan? Right. I think it's a bad plan. <laughs> Uh, it, it, yeah, right. like, is that plan? Yes. They, uh, I think we need a new plan. Yeah. Uh, and let's let's not point fingers. Let's just come up with a new plan that it, people are on board with and that they feel comfortable with. Yep. And then let's practice saying the words that communicate that plan yes. to the client so that people are comfortable saying those things. Yes. And then training, you know, rolls into coaching, which is, hey, can we talk about how things went yesterday? When these scenarios come up, what are our options for handling them? Yep. Aside from coming directly to me, what, like what other options do you think you have in this scenario? And it's some coaching, things like that. One of the other things that I, I have found to be very helpful for people who have the anxiety piece of this or who, yeah, who catastrophize and, and they seem quite nervous. A lot of times convincing those people that they are good at this and they have done this many times before yes. and it has always turned out to be just fine. Yep. That has been a powerful tool. Yeah. And so it's a lot of um, it's a lot of talking about how things went after they're over. Hey, I wanted to circle back up with you about the client yesterday that you were concerned about. We had a really nice conversation. They were a bit frustrated at the beginning. We worked through it with them. They seemed just fine. I just wanted to give you a heads up. The reason I do that is because it's easy to not talk about those things. And of course, we don't like to talk about right. the angry client stuff. The problem is that this person, they get this phone call, they have this emotional reaction, they hand the call away to the practice manager, the practice owner, or the doctor, and then there's no resolution for that, uh, for that, for yes. that situation for them. Yes. They never, they never realized this was fine right. because they don't know because the manager went in their office and closed the door. Maybe the manager went home and cried all night and it was really honestly as horrible as I imagined it was. Right. Of course it wasn't. But they, but they, they don't, don't know. know that, and so yeah. closing that loop to be like, "Hey, this was fine. Yeah, you d- you you did a good job of communicating what to expect. You set them up. I think that you accurately interpreted where they were. I think that's great. And the same thing of coming back and being like, "Hey, I talked to this person. Just so you know, they really were not upset. They, mm-hmm. they really was not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. How in the world is the person ever going to learn? Hey, maybe I overinterpreted." this person's frustration level unless they come back and hear again and again, hey, it it wasn't that, they they were not that upset. And hopefully the person can start to say, oh, okay, I'm having these experiences, they seem upset to me, and then I'm hearing that they're not upset overall. Ultimately, how many times does it have to happen before before the CSR realizes, man, you know, maybe they're not that upset when they talk to me, or maybe it's gonna go differently when I talk to the manager, or, um, hey, I might give the manager or the doctor a heads up. Hey, I think this person may be a bit frustrated just so they right. can be aware. But I'm not going to chew my fingernails off because this is going to be terrible because it's probably not going to be terrible. And I know that 
because a hundred times before it has happened and it's not been terrible. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so great. And I think the the last piece um, from the email, which I think is important, is that, you know, doctor, it's not the end of the world asked isn't isn't helping clients with problems why we're here. And they were concerned that their the CSR is, is young and they don't have real world experience. And so for me, part of the training process has to be what does customer service look like in your practice? Because we hire people and we think that they should know how to answer the phone and they should know and be able to interpret when someone is angry or when they're not or what the protocol or process is to your point, Andy. But the reality is you can have somebody, I had customer service experience coming in to my job in a vet hospital, lots of it, but that doesn't mean that I knew what customer service meant to my practice owners. And until I understood what that meant to them, I was setting, I was being set up to fail. And so I think where it has to start is what does that look like? And then developing systems and protocols where, especially if you have someone who, look, the veterinary job, the, the veterinary CSR job is, I have worked every job in the hospital other than being a veterinarian. It is the hardest job in the hospital. And, and and I will tell you that if we don't set them up for success and we don't teach them what to expect, they will fail and they will fail miserably. And so we need to own that and we need to look at our processes and protocols and figure out how do we help them feel supported so that we don't throw somebody who has no real job experience or minimal job experience in the deep end at the front desk and let them sink or swim. That's just a bad plan. And I'm not saying that's what Dr. at the end of the world did. I, kn- I know this person and I know that that's not the case, but I would say that we need to think about how do we better support our team and ask smarter questions. And so stating the obvious, saying, hey, we want clients to feel like they can ask us for help. And so when they call with a concern or a question or whatever, I, I want everybody to look at it through the lens of they're just asking for help. And if we can do yeah. that, maybe we can have a better headspace collectively when we deal with clients, things like that that matter. And we skip that part of the process a lot. And so I think thinking about what does, cl- what does client service look like here? How do we approach it? And then developing the systems and protocols so that they have a buddy, so that someone else can objectively listen to those calls with them, so that there is a process to help them figure out how to live a little bit more in the gray because we need people who can see that at the front desk. And maybe this person will never be that, but maybe they could exist just fine with rules and black and white processes if there's a person who can handle the gray sitting right there at the front desk for 90% of their shift. And maybe it's as simple as saying, for, for me, one of the solutions we came up with was to say, okay, we're gonna tell clients, I will get back to you and I need to I need to get some help. I need somebody else to take a look at this chart, whatever the situation was. One of us will get back to you. And instead of interrupting, they started writing down the list of the things. And then at every two hours, someone either was at the front desk or I would pop up there and say, tell me what's on your list. And in five minutes, we would run through the list, the, the 10 things that had come up that they felt like they needed help with. And I could answer them in five or 10 minutes rapid fire versus getting interrupted every five, every 10 minutes for two hours, right? So it's about figuring out what is going to work for you, what is going to work for that person, and how do you put those systems in, and processes into place? Outstanding. I love it. Well, thanks for doing this episode with me. Yeah, this was fun. I hope it was helpful. Uh, I can't wait for more, more Playhouse 
episode, Uncharted Playhouse Uncharted episode. Playhouse. Next time I'll actually know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make promises <laughs> that you don't have any control over. That is the hashtag truth. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> See you, everybody. Bye. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.